Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. This morning, uh, we are not going to pat-pat the Bible. Uh, the Bible is going to wallop us, as God's Word often does when you, when you get mature in your faith. The Word of God has a way of just kind of piercing and dividing and making sense out of our hearts, and I trust that, that God will do that this morning. Um, I've got a message that I want to preach to you that I, that I preached at my church several months ago. Uh, I preached this message down at uh, Austin Oaks Church, a church I used to minister at uh, last weekend. I preach it here. To be honest with you, if I could preach this, this message in every church in the world, I would do it because I think it's so central. And I want you to hear what God has to say to each one of us this morning. So let's, let's go to the Lord and let's just pray and ask God to open our hearts and give us the mind of Christ as we look at His Word together. Father, we thank You for this place that we can come and worship freely and seek Your face and glorify You and express that You are our God. There is no other God like You. And we've, we've sung this morning those words from Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgment is His paths beyond finding out. You are an amazing God. And today we're going to open up your word that you've given to us as a gift, and we're going to search out the things of God, and we pray, God, that you would lead us and that you would, that you would take what is untrue and purge it from our hearts and that you would take what is true and you would solidify it as we seek to understand the true gospel of Jesus. And so we commit our time to you and now ask that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to open to the New Testament book of Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 1. In 2006, I took my family to Washington, D.C. We did a vacation in Washington, D.C. We did what you've probably done if you've gone to Washington, D.C. Went to the museums, we went to the monuments, went to the White House. We ended up at a souvenir shop kind of near the end of our trip, and my, my children who were then at that time uh, about 12 or 13 years old and 10 years old and 6 years old, they, they wanted to get a souvenir. And my oldest son, Grant, 13 at the time, wanted to get this gold medallion that he found in the souvenir shop. He told me, Dad, this can be a collector's item, okay? This is going to be, it's going to be, if I hold on to this, it's going to be like a worth a lot of money. I'll be able to buy a house with this. This is really important. And you know that experience you have as parents where you try to talk your kids back from the ledge of what you think is real junk, okay? And so I'm trying to convince my 13-year-old son, you don't want this. Get something useful. Get a back scratcher. Get an ashtray. Get a shot glass. But don't get the gold medallion, okay? This is useless for you. But he had to have this gold medallion. All right. That's fine. So, you know, you pay for the gold medallion. He puts it in his pocket. We're walking down the National Mall. I said, hey, Grant. Yeah, Dad. I said, let me see your medallion. Oh, yeah, sure, Dad. It's really cool. He flips it over to me. I catch it. And it really is. And it's a beautiful coin. Uh, on the one side is a picture of, like, the Jefferson Memorial engraved, you know, into the coin and some Latin phrase, e pluribus unum or something like it. Something that looked very official. I flipped it over on the other side. We're walking along. I flipped it over on the other side, and there's the portrait of a president. And circling around kind of the, 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 the diameter of this coin are the words, President of the United States. <laughs> you caught that. First service didn't. 
Uh, if you're not an English major, there's not an L in the word president, but there was a capital L. They didn't have the good grace to put it in a lowercase L. It was a capital L in the middle of the word president, president of the United States. I told my wife, I said, look at this. My son's got this bogus coin, this counterfeit strange coin. It's become kind of a family joke of souvenirs for us for the last 10 years. And you know, while that's pretty harmless, counterfeiting is actually a real problem. In 2013, the United States Department of Homeland Security uh, confiscated $1.7 billion in counterfeit goods at U.S. borders. That doesn't even count the stuff that made it through their, you know, their checkpoints, and you're probably wearing this morning, okay? That kind of stuff that's in your closets. You know what I'm talking about? The counterfeit handbags and designer clothes and, and electronics and shoes and jewelry and, and even, listen to this, counterfeit prescription medications. Can you believe that? And in fact, this last week I was reading an article about China. You know the latest challenge in China right now? They've been accused of counterfeiting or knocking off the Frozen song in order to win the Beijing Olympics. I mean, counterfeiting, counterfeiting isn't safe anywhere. And there's a lot of people that go, you know, Pastor, what's the big deal? I mean, I'm wearing some good jewelry. It ain't the real thing, and I'm real happy with it right now. It's last two months already. There is a problem, there's a real problem with counterfeiting. There's two problems that I want you to remember this morning. The first problem is that counterfeiting jeopardizes the integrity of the real thing. It assaults or violates the integrity of the real thing. And the second problem with counterfeiting is that it takes advantage of unsuspecting customers. Violates the integrity of the real thing, takes advantage of, the, of, of unsuspecting customers. And I want you to keep that in mind when we come to the book of Galatians, because in this letter, the Apostle Paul is on patrol in the borders of Christianity, seeking out counterfeit religion. In fact, that's, that's the theme of the book of Galatians. Paul is addressing a problem in the church where there is a religion that's being peddled in the early church that's not the true gospel of Jesus, it's a false gospel. And the overarching message of the book of Galatians is this. This is what Paul would say to the church then. He would say to the church now, beware of buying into a bogus gospel. Be careful of it. And so uh, when we open up Galatians chapter 1, this is the heartbeat of the apostle Paul. And, and, and when we look at verse 1, we notice that Paul doesn't open this letter like he does some of the other letters of the New Testament. A lot of times he's, he's pastoral and he's kind and he kind of takes, his, you know, takes his time kind of edging into the topic. But, but in the opening verses, he hits this, pro, this problem head on. In verses 1 and 2, he identifies himself as a legitimate apostle of Jesus Christ, which, literally, which, which, which essentially means, I've got the credentials to get into your business right now. And then in verses 3 through 5, he spells out the gospel. Don't miss this, church. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. This is the gospel. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, you don't mind doing it. You might just underline or put a little asterisk or a happy face or whatever it is you do when you find something important in the Bible. And write out in the margin, this is the gospel. This is the simple gospel. And we're going to come back to this simple gospel in just a few minutes. But before we get there, what we need to understand is that this simple gospel that Paul had preached had become distorted along the way in the churches of Galatia. 
Notice what Paul writes in verse 6. He writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. Not the gospel I preached to you. Paul said, I came into your region. You didn't know, you didn't know anything. And I preached the gospel, and converts were made, and disciples were founded, and the church was established, and leaders were, were identified and ordained. And, and when I thought things were running well, I stepped out, and I went someplace else on another mission. And when I stepped out, there were others who came in, scammers, counterfeiters, that began to sell something other than the gospel of Jesus. This didn't, didn't surprise Paul. He knew this would happen. In fact, he had preached in a different place at a different time in the church in Ephesus. He had preached this warning. Listen, when I leave, others are going to come in. Notice Acts chapter 20. Paul writes to the, Paul, Paul speaks to the elders and the pastors of the church at Ephesus, and he says, listen, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I want you to be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Because I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they'll not spare the flock. And even from your own number, men will arise and they'll distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. Paul says, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to leave and wolves in sheep's clothing are going to rise up. Some are going to come from outside the church. Others are going to rise up from within the church. They're going to distort the gospel of Jesus, the true gospel. And what Paul had noticed in Galatia, the region of Galatia, is that there were Christians who were deserting the true gospel and going to a different gospel. Listen to this. The word desert there means to change sides. When they heard the gospel of Jesus and trusted in Jesus, they were on team Jesus. But then false gospel had infiltrated the church, and they defected from team Jesus to a different gospel, a different gospel. Don't, don't misunderstand what's going on here, because, because when Paul says a different gospel, he doesn't mean the same color, different shade, just kind of just a little, little different. He's not… He's not talking about a problem where everybody was raised Baptist and later on in their life they decided to become Presbyterian, okay? He's not talking about people that once loved singing hymns, but now they go to the church, to go to a church, heaven forbid, they do praise songs with drums and people raise their hands. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about Christians who early on in their spiritual life cut their teeth on the NIV 1984 edition and now later in their life are reading the ESV. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not the difference that he's talking about. He said, somebody is coming among you, and they've distorted the true gospel of Jesus so that now you follow a different gospel, which he says, listen to this in verse 7, is really no gospel at all. It's not a gospel. The packaging may say gospel. The little tag hanging on of it might say authentic gospel. The people might be selling it as the real thing, peddling it as the real thing. But I want you to know it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because let's agree, church. Listen, listen to this. Let's agree. If you got the gospel of Jesus and you take one part off the gospel of Jesus, it ain't, it's not the gospel. If you take the gospel of Jesus and you add one part onto the gospel of Jesus, it's not the gospel of Jesus. And Paul says, I'm concerned about you. 
because you started off with the true gospel, you've defected, and now you have a distorted, different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And Paul has strong words for these counterfeiters that were peddling something other than the gospel of Jesus. He says to them in verses 8 and 9 these words, But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we originally preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, I'm going to say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Those are strong words. Paul says, I want you to know, and Grace Covenant Church, I would tell you, that if a pastor, a preacher, a so-called prophet, an angel from heaven descends in your midst, big old wings flap out in a bright glowing light, and they begin to preach something other than the gospel of Jesus, Paul says, let them be damned. That's what he means there. Let them end up exactly in the destination that their false message leads to. Let them end up in that place. And I would warn you as a pastor, I would, I would say to you as, as, as a pastor, that, that I don't think Paul's warning is only for those who promote a false gospel, but I think it's also true for those who buy into a false gospel. You know, I, I've been preaching the gospel for 25 years. I think, there are, I think there's going to be some surprises in the kingdom of heaven. Do you? I think there's going to be some surprises. I think there's going to be people who arrive at the kingdom of heaven and discover that what they've bought into is a counterfeit truth. Maybe, maybe you've heard this in Austin. Maybe you've heard uh, uh, somebody wants to go to a concert. Let's say it's South by Southwest. And the tickets, let's make up a number. The tickets are $150. And they think, I can't afford $150. I'll go on some reputable ticket site and I'll buy another ticket. So they go on Craigslist and they start searching uh, all the tickets that are available uh, on Craigslist. They find a ticket to South by Southwest for 60 bucks. Can you believe that? $60. That's too good to be true. Not only that, but that it gives you, it, it's, it's a VIP ticket and it gives you access to, a, to an after party. This is unbelievable. A miracle of God, pennies from heaven. And so they send their credit card information to somebody that they don't know and they receive a paper ticket that they print out of their printer. They're so excited. 60 bucks. Save $90 on this ticket. And you know what happens, don't you? You've heard the reports. They show up south by southwest, and they turn over their paper ticket, and what happens? little person standing there with a little scanner gadget hands it back to him and says, this ticket's no good. What are you talking about? This ticket does not give you entrance to this event. It's counterfeit. It's bogus. Let me tell you what never happens. The ticket taker didn't go, this is not going to be good. Well, I thought it was good. Okay. <laughs> Never happens that way. At least you were sincere. You did pay something for it. We got to give you credit for that. Never happens like that. The ticket taker hands him back the ticket and says, this is not good for this event. And my concern is that there's going to be Christians. And I know because I've got to church full of people that call themselves Christians. I think there's going to be some people who arrive at the turnstiles of heaven and they hand over their little ticket that's called the gospel. Their little coin. Here it is. Here's my fancy collector's medallion. Here it is. And the response back is going to be, this is not the good news. This is good news gone bad. This is not the good news of Jesus. So church, what is the gospel of Jesus? 
How do we authenticate the gospel of Jesus? You know, if I had a $100 bill right now, I could hold it up and say, there's a way that we can discern whether this new $100 bill is counterfeit or not. It's got some safety features built into it, right? It's got the little metal strip that runs through the one side of the bill. It's got fine print. It's got the iridescent ink when you, you know, tilt it back and forth. If you hold it up to the light, you can see the horribly disfigured picture of Benjamin Franklin um, as you look through it, you know. I got to fire that artist. That was not a good picture. But nonetheless, these are all of the safety features that tell us this is good. This is authentic. And in the gospel of Jesus, there are some features in the gospel, at least five features that we find in verses three through five that let us, alert us to the true gospel of Jesus. You ready? I want to give you five words today. This is the true gospel. The first word is grace. The gospel is grace. Paul starts off and he says in verse 3, grace and peace to you. He, he frequently leads with the foot of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's an unconditional blessing. It is by nature a gift, which means that when God saves a person, he gives them or grants them salvation as Paul says to Timothy, not because of anything that they have done, but because of what he does, his own purpose and grace. And the only thing that you and I contribute to our salvation is sin. That's it. It's the only thing that we bring to the table. And any religion that says to you, you have to perform, you have to check off a list, there's three more things that you need to do, you need to add to this work of Jesus, is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is an other gospel. It is a counterfeit gospel because here's how the math works on this. Jesus plus anything else, fill in the blank with anything else, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus generosity, Jesus plus don't dance, Jesus plus go to church, Jesus plus the King James Version of the Bible, Jesus plus anything else equals squat. That's the Greek word. It's zero. It doesn't add up. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ because the salvation is by grace alone, free gift of God. It's the reason that I reject the so-called gospel of Mormonism because the teachings of Mormonism in their own literature in 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, reads this precisely. For we labor diligently to write to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we have been saved after all we can do. Do you hear that? It's not a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of grace after we perform and do the best that we can possibly do. It's the reason that I reject the teachings of Islam. I have Muslim friends, but I disagree with their teaching because the teachings of Islam is that for a person to be reconciled to God, there are at least five pillars, five practices of Islam that a person has to participate in. They have to practice these things in order to be right to God. But that's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus tells us that it is by grace that you are saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not according to works, so that no one can stand up and say, hey, God, I helped you. You died for me. I added something to it. Together, we're a great team. Doesn't work that way. 
Now, there's some people that say, well, hold on a second. Are you telling me that I just sit on my hands and keep my mouth shut and God just drags me into the kingdom? No, there is a work, if you want to call it a work. It's found in John chapter 6. Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, what is the work that God requires? Isn't that a great question? What is the work that God requires? Anybody here want to know the work God requires? I'll tell you. I want to tell you the work God requires. Here it goes. Jesus answers, verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he sent. Only thing you can bring to the table is an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God and that you need him in your life. That's it. Because salvation is by grace alone. You with me, church? The gospel is grace. Number two, the gospel is peace. Paul follows grace with peace. In fact, they really, uh, they run, they, they go hand in hand with one another. It is because we have received the grace of God that we experience the peace of God. Now, a person may say, um, excuse me, but I don't really understand why we need peace. What's peace got to do with it? And the answer is because you and I are born at war with God. People say, well, aren't we all children of God? No, that's unbiblical to say that all people are children of God. We're not. We're all creatures created by God, but we're not all children of God. In fact, the human disposition is described in the Bible like this. I'm born, and I'm shaking my fist in the face of God. I'm a rebel with my back turned to Him. I'm lawless, and I could care nothing. I care nothing about Him. I am an enemy of the cross of Jesus, and I'm at war with my Creator. Wow. That's how the Bible describes my relationship with God. But then God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, an act of grace, and Christ dies for me. He bears my sin, and He offers me the opportunity to be at peace with my Creator. Romans 5.1, having been justified, that word means to be made right with God, having been justified by faith, I now have peace with God. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute that there's two countries that have been warring with one another, okay? And they've been fighting, and there's just been battles, and they're tired, and they decide, let's sign a peace treaty. And so the two presidents of these countries, they come together in a neutral location. They sit down at a big old mahogany desk. They pull out their treaty papers. They pull out their big old treaty pens. They sign their names on this treaty. There's an agreement that there's going to be peace. The two presidents get on their planes or helicopters, go back to their home country, and one of them, when he arrives in his country... He immediately gets off the plane. He goes to his, his governmental headquarters. He calls in his military generals and advisors, and he says to them, okay, listen, we've signed the treaty. I want you to pull up all extra forces for battle. I want you to ready our defenses. We're going to go to DEFCON 3 or 2 or 4, whatever one is the, is the, is the, is the higher one, okay? And, and, and we're going we're gonna to send spies into the land, and we're going we're gonna to start doing intelligence, and we're going to make ourselves ready. And one of the generals goes, whoa, 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 hold on just a second. Didn't you just sign a treaty? I mean, didn't you all just do the whole sign the big name with the beautiful pen on the legal you know, treaty paper? Didn't you all just do that? He goes, oh, yeah. So what's wrong with you? I mean, you'd have to wonder, what's wrong with a person who has signed the treaty but then acts like they're still at war. It's a person that either doesn't agree with the treaty or they believe that the treaty is insufficient to bring about true peace. So why are there believers 
so-called believers in Jesus Christ who have trusted in Jesus by faith that still are not confident that they are at peace with God? Why are there Christians in the church that have no assurance of their salvation? They're assured yesterday because yesterday was a great day, but then this morning, boy, they really made a mess of things. And now, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. That's the way they live their lives. What does that say about the gospel of Jesus if I can fall in and out of favor with God? Do you understand? The true gospel of Jesus is a gospel of security, not because of anything that I do. I cannot make myself secure, and neither can you. But God keeps His Word, God of integrity, God who keeps His promises, God who knows everything I was going to do the day I trusted in Jesus Christ back in April 1983. He knew that, and He saved me anyway. And so, friends, if you've heard a gospel and believed a gospel that is a gospel where you're in the kingdom, out of the kingdom, in the kingdom, out of the kingdom, and it all depends on whether or not you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and stay good with God, you've not believed the true gospel of Jesus because the gospel gives you everlasting peace. It's peace. Number three, the gospel is substitution. It's substitution. Now, Paul continues when he talks about the gospel in verse 4 when he says that Jesus gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. So I want you to see in this phrase there are two pieces. There's good news and bad news. Jesus gave himself. That's a Savior. That's good news. For our sins, that's the bad news. All right? Good news and bad news. By the way, the gospel means good news. You can't have good news unless you understand bad news. So the bad news is this, we're all sinners. We're born as sinners. Can we all agree on that? We're all born sinners. If you don't understand that we're all born sinners, you've never been around a toddler, okay? We're all sinners, okay? We're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All, okay? Romans 3.10 10 through 12, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who seeks God, no one who understands. No one, no one. We're all sinners, and so this is the reason that I reject the false gospel of organizations like Scientology, which say that evil or sin or the idea of sin is really just an illusion. Sin is just an illusion. It's, a, it's an unfortunate misunderstanding. Or Buddhism, which teaches that sin is just this notion that gets in people's head that prevents them from just being happy. But there's no such thing as sin. Unfortunately, as my theology professor once said to a student, that's an interesting theory that's been bludgeoned to death by a gang of angry facts. The Scripture tells us that human beings are sinful. In fact, in 1 John 1.8, John says this, if we say we have no sin, then we deny the truth. We're nuts because every human being is a sinner. Fortunately, sinners have received a Savior. His name is Jesus, who gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ came into the world to be the sin bearer, to take my sin upon himself and give me his life. 
In fact, one of the songs we sang here this morning, a beautiful song, a song that speaks about this, what we call the great exchange of the spiritual life found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It reads this way, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in Him I might become the righteousness of God. Is that unbelievable? God took the perfect Son of God, took my sin and put it on Him, took His righteousness and put it in me. Guess who got the good end of the stick? We did. But it didn't come through any other means than there was a substitute, Jesus Christ, who stood in our place and received our sin upon Himself so that we're saved not just through His teaching. We're saved not just through His virtue. We're saved not through our obedience. We're saved because He bears our sin upon Himself and pays our penalty to satisfy the wrath of a holy God. Let me just tell you something. Joseph Smith didn't do that for you. Mary Baker Eddy didn't do that for you. L. Ron Hubbard didn't do that for you. Okay? Confucius didn't do that for you. The Pope didn't do that for you. Matt Cassidy didn't do that for you. And I'm definitely not going to do that for you. Nice people just don't do that. Only Jesus has taken away the sins of the world so that Peter was right when he, when he preaches in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. He is the only substitute for sinners. That's the gospel. Number four, the gospel is freedom. Gospel is freedom. When Paul describes the gospel in verses three through five, he says in verse four, he says, this gospel frees us or rescues us from the evils of this present age. That's what the gospel does. It rescues or releases people. It liberates them from the bondage of sin. So not only were we born sinners, but we are enslaved to sin. We're walking in darkness. We're blind to the truth. We're trapped. We're prisoners of sin. So Jesus didn't just come to convert us to religion. Jesus came to liberate us and set us free from the sin that has become the master of our life. Unfortunately, there are people who have bought into some kind of gospel, some idea of truth. They go to church, but their lives don't reflect anything of freedom. Boy, they have the same addictions. They have the same practices in their life. They're still tied to materialism. They're still building little kingdoms for themselves. They still gossip and they're cynical and they lie and they lack integrity. They still are not faithful. Their lives are just, just to be honest, their lives don't look any different than the person who doesn't know Jesus. How does that work? How does that work out? It's not that Christians don't sin, because I can tell you something. We all sin. If you're not sure of that, ask your spouse. Your spouse will tell you the truth about your sin. It's not that Christians never sin, but listen to this, church. Christians, the, when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, the bondage of sin is broken so that they begin to experience a radical transformation of their life. 
The normal spiritual life is the wrestling and the wrangling and the victory little by little that comes along the way by sin. And yet there are some people who have bought into a so-called gospel, and they look back on their life, there's really not been any change. They talk the same way. They look the same way. They act the same way. They relate the same way. They explode emotionally the same way. And the only thing that Jesus is to them is a little dollop of religion 45% of the weeks out of the year. That's it. The true gospel explodes in freedom, leads us to a new way of living. And I hope that you can look back on your life and you go, you know what, I may not be what I'm going to be and I may not be what I ought to be, but I'm not what I was. There is something God's been doing in my life. I know that I've been changed. I hope you've been changed. I know that your church here has uh, what's called Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights, 7 o'clock. Check your bulletin. It's, there's an announcement in your bulletin this week for Celebrate Recovery. We have Celebrate Recovery at our church. It's unbelievable. And the great thing about Celebrate Recovery is that it does not teach you systems and mechanics and trying to reform your habits to do things in a different way. All Celebrate Recovery does is take people with any kind of hurt, habit, or hang-up and teach them the gospel. So let's go back to the gospel. Let's find out what Jesus has done and start living in the freedom of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of Jesus. Number five, the gospel is God. The gospel is God. The true gospel of Jesus Christ begins with God. It continues in God. It leads us to God. It culminates in the glory of God. That's what Paul says in verse 5 of our passage. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself to rescue us, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the evils of this present age. For the glory of God, for the glory of God. In fact, Paul goes on to say in Galatians 1.10, he says, am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? Paul says, the reason I teach you this is not to impress you, is because I want you to know who God is. I want Him to be exalted in your midst. So don't miss this, church. The true gospel that is preached to the church and is believed in the church does not lead people to have greater affections for a particular personality. The true gospel of Jesus does not lead people to have huge affections centered on a particular church. The gospel of Jesus does not lead people to love and be impassioned by a particular style of music or a particular Sunday school class or a particular version of Scripture. Those are all tools that God leads so that as we sing and go to a church and listen to a preacher and sit in a class and do biblical community with one another, our hearts are not more affectionate for those things, but go through those things to the glory of God. We are caused to love Him more. We, are, we stand in awe of who He is. Our hearts are drawn heavenward to Him. Do you see that? The gospel is not designed to lead us to have our attention on anything bound on earth, but for our gaze to be lifted up to the God in heaven. It's a reason why I think that some people have difficulty with change in the church. 
They don't like when things change. Next Sunday, we could have moved, you could have moved, uh, you know, this, this instrument from this side of the stage to that side of the stage. And some people come and go, okay, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do that. I just can't. I, I just, I don't know how I'm going to, I'm going to change churches. I mean, it happens. And the reason that most people have difficulty with change is because they have directed their affections on this. Right? Instead of seeing this as the means to direct my affections here, I've placed my heart in a version or a song or a style or a person or whatever else. The true gospel of Jesus lifts our eyes to the glory of our great God. So I want to ask you two questions this morning. We'll be done. The first question is this. What does your coin say? Pull your little gospel medallion out of your pocket. Take a look at it. Is it the real deal? Is it a gospel of grace, a free gift that's given to you by God, or is it a gospel of all your best efforts? Add just a little bit of something to it, and God will be impressed. Is it a gospel of peace where you say, Lord, I know I'm not all the person that you've ultimately planned for me to be, but God, I am safe and secure. And in fact, it's that security that causes me to live life in your direction. Are you a person that wrings your hands thinking he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not? It is it a gospel of substitution where you're trusting in Jesus Christ as the sin bearer for your sin, or have you trusted in someone or something else? Is it a gospel of freedom where you know the bondage of sin has been broken in me, I'm maturing, I'm growing, and that Jesus is not just an icon that I think about on Sunday morning. He is my life. He is my life. I've been set free. Or is the gospel just a little dollop of Jesus that you just add to an unchanged life? Is the gospel about the glory of God? Is the gospel about the glory of something else? What does your gospel say? Is it the good news or is the good news gone bad? Here's the second question. It might be more sobering, and I'll just leave you with this. If you pull your coin out of the pocket and it says President of the United States, if it says this is not the real gospel, it's a knockoff gospel, do you care? You know, it's the interesting thing about preaching. Preachers hope that people are not enamored by inspiration. They hope that people move to application, that what is preached from God's Word moves the hearts of people to do something. And unfortunately, some people will hear the message of a false gospel and they'll go, you know what, I've been doing this for the last 47 years. I ain't about to change it. It's too hard. It's too much in me even though it's not the right gospel. In another place and another time, Paul writes these words to the Corinthian church and tell me if they don't sound a lot like his charge to the Galatians. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you hear a different gospel from the one that you accepted, listen to this, you put up with it easily enough. Wow. That means you've, you've discovered that the gospel you believed, the message you heard, was not really true. It was a counterfeit. But instead of doing something about it, humbling yourself and say, 
I think I bought into the wrong gospel. You just keep right on going on. Church, today is the day where we claim the true gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, you claim the true gospel of Jesus. And if it's time for you to say, I realize I've been buying into a different gospel, Lord, I want to trust you alone, then that's what you need to do. And for the rest of us, let's make sure that until the day we meet Jesus together, that we always carry with ourselves the only gospel, the true gospel of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world. You've done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We tried, but we couldn't. We thank you for your grace, which is abundant and good and joyful and unearned. We thank you, God, that we didn't have to contribute anything to our salvation because if it was based on us, we would all come up so short. What could we do to save ourselves? Thank you that we have peace with you, assurance of what Jesus has accomplished. Set us free. Direct our gaze to your glory, God. Oh, I pray that you would be glorified today. Everybody in this church would forget about me. They would love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.